Hello, my name is Kristen Hoff and I am a member of the Women in the Word teaching team here. Um, I hope you have enjoyed the roller coaster ride so far that has been our study of Revelation as Lynn called it a few weeks ago. Um, I know that my emotions and my spirit have definitely felt like this has been a roller coaster ride. Um, and I can only imagine what John might have felt as he saw all of these things take place and all the things that Jesus has revealed to him. He saw the church praised and corrected and encouraged to spread his word. He watched all of the destruction on the earth as it happened. Um, he's seen all of the judgments poured out. He saw the beast and the dragon rise to power and he saw God with his authority bring them back down. He got to see Jesus's thousand year reign here on earth. And then he saw all of mankind stand before the judgment. And now he has seen the earth and the heavens destroyed, but what great blessing that he will get to see here in chapter 21, as he gets to be the witness to God's new creation, the new earth and the new heaven, and the city that God has prepared for us. Look on your verse sheet at Hebrews 11:10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The city that Paul mentions here in Hebrews is the city we are studying today. While I was studying this and the way it was written, it reminded me of nesting dolls. And we have a slide of what those look like. The nesting dolls um, usually start with a large wooden doll. And then as you open them, each um, subsequent doll is just a little bit smaller. And so the way this is written, it just looked to me like you got the general picture and then John opens it up a little bit further. You get to see what the outside of New Jerusalem looks like and then he opens it up further. And so we will look at that and see that here today. So read with me now, starting in chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. So the first thing that we notice here is that the first heaven and first earth were gone and a new heaven and a new earth were made. This is not a renovation, this is a new creation. And I think this is so cool. All the way back in the beginning in Genesis 1-1, the word starts with, in the beginning God created. And here, as we get to see the beginning of eternity starting, God is creating again. This will be a perfect paradise created for us. God's original creation was marred by our sin. And because man chose sin over, uh, chose sin over disobedience, that we have suffered pain and uh, the consequences of that. When we enter into eternity, we will be entering God's new creation, unmarred by sin in our glorified bodies. Having been made righteous through Christ and His blood, sin does not get to enter this new creation with us. One thing that we should notice here from the text that is different from earth today as we know it is that there are no seas. Today, our earth has about 75% of it made up as water. So this will be a big difference from what we know of now. So let's keep reading, starting in verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So what John sees next is the holy city that God made coming down from heaven. This city is called New Jerusalem. The text says that it came from heaven. So this implies that it was already made before God created the new heaven and the new earth. There are some among theologians who believe that New Jerusalem was a satellite city during the millennial kingdom, maybe to be used as a home for the saints, um, but that the city was removed before the old heavens and the old earth were destroyed. Um, however, I don't think that there is any evidence of this in scripture. Um, and to be honest, the city being described as a bride to me, kind of contradicts this thought. When you think of a bride, you think pure and clean. You think fresh and new. Um, since this is a gift from God, I don't think the city would have been used any time before this. This is a blessing that he's giving to all of the saints from the beginning of the time here at this point in time. And after all, the purity of a bride is one of the things that makes her shine the brightest. In verse three, John hears a voice from the throne that tells him the dwelling place of God is with man and that he will dwell with his people and they will dwell with him. The thought of just living with God and his presence gives me chills and it humbles me and it makes me excited for this day. This is also the fulfillment of a promise God made in Ezekiel 37. So look with me on your verse sheet at Ezekiel 37, 27 through 28. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord God who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. God has desired to be with us, his people from the very beginning. He has faithfully pursued us, and this is the culmination of that pursuit. In the garden, God went in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, but their sin separated them from him. After that, in the wilderness, as Israel wandered through, God told Moses to build a tabernacle, a tent dwelling, so that he could dwell with them and lead them. But still, the Israelites strayed from God. Then Solomon built for God a temple in Jerusalem, a permanent dwelling for God. But their disobedience had uh, caused the temple to, do, to be destroyed, not once, but twice. So God came in flesh to the earth in the form of a baby named Jesus. Jesus, God's son, being fully God and fully man, walked among men with them to be the perfect example of how we should live. Yet still sin reigned and man crucified him on a cross. But Jesus rose from the dead three days later and now sits on the throne in heaven with God. In order that we weren't left alone, God sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could have him and dwell within us. 
However, our sin still causes pain and grief to this day until this point that John is seeing now when we can dwell with God forevermore. And when this happens, God will wipe the tears from our eyes and there will be no more pain and no more suffering. How awesome is this gonna be? Um, now this phrase here that God will wipe the tears from our eyes does not mean that there will be crying in heaven, um, but instead it shows us his loving kindness and his compassion towards us. Remember back to when you were little and you may have fallen and skinned your knee um, and your mom or dad or some other grown up would come and they would pull you in their arms. They would wipe those tears from your eyes and they would try to take that pain away. God will be able to take that pain away. The former things have passed away and we will finally live a life without pain and sorrow. So read with me now, starting in verse five. He who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So again, the one who is seated on the throne begins speaking. We don't know exactly who this was, whether or not it was God the Father or whether it was Jesus, but what is important isn't necessarily who is speaking, but rather the words that they are speaking. He says, behold, I am making all things new. That is the creation, that is us, that is everything that everything will be made new. Now at this point, I kind of picture John a little bit like um, the cartoons we used to watch when we were kids. He's standing there, he sees something completely and totally amazing and his jaw hits the floor. Um, at this point in the cartoon, that's when someone usually comes and helps him pick his jaw back up, only for it to be removed and fall right back down on the floor. Um, whatever it may have been that stopped John from writing at this point, the one from the throne reminds him that these words and the things that he is seeing are trustworthy and true. So keep writing. The one on the throne then continues speaking and he says, it is done. And what he is meaning by this is he is declaring that everything from human history to this point is finished and eternity is starting now. He also tells John that he has the authority to declare this because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. This is not the end of God's works. However, it is just the beginning of the saints, the saints getting to witness his works personally before their eyes. Beginning here, God starts working. The one on the throne tells all who are thirsty that he will give them the spring of water of life without payment. This is a promise that Jesus made as well. So look with me on your verse sheet at John 4. 
John 4, 13 through 14 says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water willing up, for eternal, up, willing up to eternal life. So look back at verse one. It says, there will be no sea. So this spring or river is the only source of water noted here. And we will talk a little bit more about this spring or river in a little bit, but notice that this water is life-giving. And who receives this heritage of life-giving water? It is the conqueror, or some versions call this the overcomer. Look on your verse sheet with me at 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is our heritage. Think back to the beginning of our study in Revelation when we studied the seven churches. Each of the sections to the churches finished with this statement, and to the overcomer. I wish I had time to go through and remind you of each of those, but this would be a great opportunity to go back and read chapters two and three and find all of those promises, because those promises are fulfilled here in this chapter. The one on the throne also tells the conqueror that I will, be his, I will be his God and he will be my son. This statement comes from the Davidic covenant when God promised David, uh, King David in 2 Samuel. This promise passed from David to his son Solomon and it points straight to Jesus. And this ultimately will be our heritage too as sons and daughters of Christ, of God through Christ. So verse eight tells us who unfortunately will not be with us in eternity. All of the traits listed here belong to those who did not put their faith in Christ. Since they did not put their faith in Christ, they will not enjoy the pleasure of eternity with God, having access to God's refreshing spring of life-giving water. Instead, they will suffer eternity in a lake, a lake that burns of fire and sulfur. The contrast here is important and it should not be missed. It should encourage us to share Christ as often as we can. And then it should encourage us to praise him for the gift that he has given us. Even more reason is this for us to praise. We can praise that God will create for all the saints a new creation so that we can dwell with him forever in eternity. So look with me now, starting in verse nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed, the holy city, showed me the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God as radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall, with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations 
and on them were the 12 tribes of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So here the vision opens up a little bit more to show us what specifically New Jerusalem might look like. One of the angels who had poured out the seven bowls of God's wrath takes John to view the city that is again described as a bride. He takes John by spirit up to the top of a most high mountain so that he can get a better view of what New Jerusalem will look like coming down from heaven. Um, and let me tell you, I thought about this and all of the uh, home improvement shows and the big reveals that they have, nothing they can ever do will compare to this big reveal. John describes the city as having the glory of God. When I think of this, it makes me think back and remember the story of Moses as he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments that God had given him. And when he gets to the bottom of the mountain, his face is glowing. The city glowing with God's glory will be a sight unlike any other. So a few years ago, my family and I took um, a trip or a vacation, however you would like to call it. We took about a week and a half and we went through several of the national parks. We started in Rocky Mountain National Park and then we went up to Grand Tetons. Um, we spent a few days in Yellowstone and seeing all that there is to see there. And then towards the end, we drove on up to Glacier National Park. And as we were at Glacier, I was standing there with my two boys. We were actually on the edge of a glacier and we had the snow capped mountains all around us. Um, in front of us was this beautiful field of green with these uh, yellow flowers popping up through the snow. And my oldest then, he looked at me and he said, Mom, you know, we can only say this is beautiful or this is pretty so many times. I don't have any more words to say what we have seen. You know, he was expressing then how amazing all of God's creation was that we had seen. I think this is how John is feeling. This is when he stopped writing. His breath was taken away by what he saw. And you have to remember, John is writing down and he is describing these things with his present day earthly knowledge. These things are new creation and he is describing this new creation as best he can and that is not an easy task. So John tells us the radiance of the city is like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Now the jasper that we know today is green, um, but what John is more likely describing is probably a diamond-like stone. A clear, perfect diamond would be spectacularly, spectacularly radiant with God's glory shining through it. The city itself is surrounded by a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels are at the gates. We won't need a high wall in this city, but the high wall helps remind us that this city is exclusive. It's a members only city with the only criteria for entry is that we have put our faith in Christ. There are three gates on each side of the city, north, south, east, and west, and each gate bears the name of a different tribe of Israel. It does not mention which gate is named which, it could be similar to the gates in the temple, but that is not specifically stated. 
And the city will also have 12 visible foundations on which the names of the 12 apostles are written. The foundations speak to the permanence of this city. This is an eternal city and it will not be destroyed. The specific mention of both the Old Testament and the New Testament saints uh, makes it very clear that this is a home for all of us from the very beginning of time who have put our faith in Christ. So what will this city look like? Let's pick back up again, starting in verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third aggregate, fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So this section opens up our eyes a little bit clearer to what, why this city was so breathtaking. Um, the angel that John is with measures the city with a gold measuring rod. Now the gold of the measuring rod itself is symbolic of the value that this city is. And it's also a, uh, shows that this is God's city. This is where God will live and his glory will be in the city. The act of it being measured also shows that it belongs to God. We do something very similar to this when we buy and sell property. We have a survey done to show us what the boundary lines are. This marks the city as God's. The text specifically states that an angel's measurements are the same as human's measurements. So we can know and understand what these measurements are. The city is called four square. So it is square at its base with the length and the height and the width being equal. Now there's a little bit of debate on what the shape of this city might be that I found a little interesting. Um, the most logical would be a cube. The Holy of Holies within the interior of the temple and the tabernacle was a cube. This is where God resided in both of those places. The cube also represents perfection and fulfillment so the shape of a cube would be the fulfillment of all God's promises through the ages. Now, some people believe that this could be a pyramid. Um, a pyramid can have a square bottom and it can also have a length, width, and height that are equal. Um, and the thought being is that the throne would be at the topmost center and the river would flow down from that. However, I believe that the city will be a cube, mainly because a pyramid is a pagan symbol. It is not a symbol or a shape that God has used previously in scripture. Also, since the Holy of Holies, where God has resided before and previously dwelled, it would make sense that his permanent home would be the shape of a cube as well. 
So regardless of shape, the city is huge. Um, the angel measures it to be 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. Um, so 12,000 stadia, see if I can say that one more time, is approximately 1,400 miles. So I have a slide that shows how big that would be if it were placed on top of modern day Jerusalem. All right, so that's it. So look at how huge that would be. That covers seas and countries. Um, not to mention the fact that our current atmosphere is only 300 miles high. So that city would go and extend outside of our atmosphere by another thousand miles. The total volume of the city is half that of the volume of the moon. The walls of the city are 144 cubits or 216 feet wide. So if you would picture the width of that, you could walk 30 African ele elephants side by side on the top of those city walls. Just the size is enormous to me. It's mind blowing. Um, and it's not just the size of the city that is breathtaking. God adorns New Jerusalem in such a way that his glory will be magnified. The walls are jasper, and we've talked a little bit about how that is um, probably a clear diamond-like stone. The city itself is described as pure gold, clear as glass, which is probably some kind of clear stone with a golden hue. A random fact that I came across while studying this is that a lot of the buildings in Jerusalem today are, and probably during John's day as well, are made out of a locally quarried limestone that at sunrise and sunset glow this golden hue. It is a beautiful picture and a reflection of what is to come, but it is not even going to compare to what God's city is going to look like. John tells us that the streets were made out of the same clear golden stone. Um, these are those streets of gold that we've sung about in hymns for ages. Um, but to be honest, I never pictured them as being clear. Um, the gates are each made of a single pearl. That's one extremely large pearl. Um, theologian Thomas Constable said that people of John's day considered pearls among the most precious of stones because they were made from nature and could not be approved on by man. Such a pretty picture. The foundations at the base of the city were adorned by 12 different precious, precious jewels. The precise colors of each stone are unknown, but to, uh, and we cannot be certain of them, but the brilliance of what that would look like is breathtaking. Now I have a few slides of different artist renderings and their interpretations of what the city might look like. Um, so this is one, and you can see how it has the clear walls with the different foundations. And then there's these two. Uh, the first one kind of has a dome-like top. Um, must be a fun interpretation of what he saw, but I like the second one and how it shows very clearly the different color stones. And then this last one here is my favorite. I love this picture of the radiance and the brilliance of this as it's coming down here to earth. Now, all of these interpretations are beautiful, but I don't think any artist is going to be able to compare to the greatest artist of all time. Just imagine the walls clear, 
the city transparent gold with all of the multicolored stones at the base, this whole city will be radiating with God's glory from the inside out. I kind of picture it as this huge rainbow of color. I think this is yet another promise that God is showing us as complete. The rainbow was a symbol of God's covenant to Noah that he would never destroy the world by flood again. And here in eternity, we can hold to that promise, but we can also know that nothing will ever destroy this city that God built because it is a new creation and no evil will be allowed in it. So read with me now, starting in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory of the they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here John points out a few things that the city does not have. An interesting thing that he starts off with is that the city will not have a temple. Instead, John tells us that the temple is the Lord God and the Lamb. The word temple here is sanctuary or God's dwelling place. It is the specific word used for the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. And it is also the same word that, God, uh, that Paul uses in the metaphor when he describes the spiritual temple that believers make up with the Holy Spirit indwelling inside us. We will be in the presence of God the Father and Jesus, so there is no need for a building dedicated to worship. God will be with us here. There is no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God will be our source of light and the lamb will be our lamp. This phrase, no need for, doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be there. However, Isaiah tells us that they will not. Look at your verse sheet at Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. So the Holy of Holies was lit by God's glory between the cherubim. And in New Jerusalem, God's glory will radiate through Jesus the Lamb. The light that God and Jesus give us will be enough that it covers the entire new creation. We know this because it tells us the nations will walk by his light. Their light will shine continuously so that there is no night. Look on your verse sheet at John 8:12 with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness will have the light of life. No darkness is allowed in God's new creation. This is also why the gates will never need to close. Typically, city, city gates were closed at night in order to keep enemies out and all of the evil that would come in in the darkness. But without night and without darkness or any evil, 
those gates will never need to shut. This is yet another reminder that only the redeemed can enter the city, only those whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. A city with gates on all sides and gates that never shut also implies that we will have the freedom to come and go out of the city gates into new creation. Look back at verse 24, where it says, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. And a little further down, it says, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Now, there are a few different interpretations of what this could mean. One thought is that these are believing kings from earth who bring the glory given to them by God into the city. Another thought is that these, are these kings are glorified saints that God has blessed in some way. Or the last thought leans on the practice of ancient kings who would bring gifts into the city of the greatest king, or in this case, the king of kings. Two great examples that I can think of from scripture are of Jesus when he was born and the wise men brought their gifts to him in celebration. And then we have the 24 elders who were given golden crowns by God, who laid those crowns at God's feet as worship. Whichever way, this is worship. Look at your verse sheet with me at Isaiah 60, verse three. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then Psalm 72, 11, may all kings fall down before him all nations serve him. Everything about God's new creation leads us to worship. The magnitude and beauty of the city, God's glory and light shining through and on us always, just being with him in his presence. For me, even the act of looking forward to this humbles me and the picture it just makes me want to praise God. All of it brings worship. So now let's look and see what the inside of this city might look like. Read with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So the first thing that we see in this city is the river of life flowing from the throne through the middle of the street. John describes this river as crystal, uh, which tells us it will be brilliantly clear. This is the only water mentioned here in God's new creation. And we know from a little bit earlier that this is life giving water. It will be a real river, but it is also a picture of the refreshment that we will receive from God through eternal life. And this river could also be a literal symbol of the Holy Spirit that we as believers have indwelling within us. On either side of the river, the tree of life will grow. 
There's a little debate again on what this might look like to have a tree growing on either side of the river and also whether or not it will be one tree or multiple trees. Um, so while I was studying this and contemplating, the aspen tree came to my mind. Aspen trees grow in groves. And if you'll ever notice, you very rarely see just one aspen tree. And that is because through their roots, they are all interconnected. And all of them in the forest could possibly all have the same DNA. So um, a great example of this is the Pando Aspen Grove in Utah. It covers over 100 acres and has over 47,000 trees in it. But by DNA and their connected roots, it is considered one tree. Could this be what the tree of life is like? Or could the tree of life be a large trunked tree and the river be a little bit more narrow and flow underneath it? We don't know. This is one of those great mysteries that we will get to see when we get there. It could even be something completely different from anything we could ever dream up or picture. But what we do know is that the tree of life will be unlike any tree we have ever seen before. The text tells us that it will produce fruit and not just one fruit, but it will produce 12 different kinds of fruit and it will not produce seasonally like the trees that we are used to. It will produce uh, fruit each month. We also know that this tree has been seen before in scripture. Genesis 3:22 tells us that the tree was in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and that it produces eternal life. Look at your verse sheet at Genesis 3:22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has come, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of this tree of life and eat and live forever. The leaves can also be eaten on the tree of life. They are meant for healing the nations. Um, so does this mean that the nations will need healing? No, it does not. Um, the word for healing that is used here is called therapian, which is where we get our word therapeutic. Instead of healing, it would be better translated as health giving, especially since we know that we will not suffer disease or injury anymore. And I can say that confidently because we know that the curse will be no more. The curse that this speaks of is the curse that occurred in the fall in Genesis chapter 3 when man sinned, the consequences covered man, woman, the serpent, and creation. The resulting consequences led to pain, suffering, separation from God, and ultimately death. The consequences have all now been removed. Nothing cursed can come before God, so in God's new creation, there will be no pain, no separation, and no death. I think all of these things from the water from the river, the fruit and the leaves from the tree are put here for our enjoyment as a gift or a blessing from God to be used as they were originally meant to be used in the Garden of Eden. And without a curse, we will finally be able to enjoy God's creation and worship Him as we were originally made to do. We will also be marked as gods to bear his name on our foreheads permanently. 
The high priest in the Old Testament had a gold plate that said, Holy to the Lord, that he put on his turban when he went into the Holy of Holies. However, he took that off when he came out of God's presence. Ours will be permanent and cannot be removed. The text also tells us that we will see God's face. Um, what exactly this looks like, I don't know. Um, God is omnipresent. He is spirit. He is light. Um, look on your verse sheet and let's look at how Solomon describes God. It's 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So God cannot be contained. However, he is God. And I don't know, could he take a form so that we could see his face? Maybe, I don't know. Um, but the idea of being face to face in God's presence implies an intimacy and a closeness that we have never experienced before. John mentions again that there will be no night and no sun because the Lord God will be our light. We will delight in his constant presence over us as we enjoy his life-giving water and fruit. God with our God as our light will reign forever will reign forever and ever. What an awesome statement. Some think that this refers back to the original purpose that man was given in Genesis to have dominion over all of the earth, but sin prevented that. So with sin out of the picture, we can fulfill that original purpose. This also fulfills what Timothy said in 2 Timothy 2.12. Look with me on your verse sheet. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will, he will also deny us. This goes along with what Jesus promised the church in Laodicea earlier in chapter 3 of Revelation, that we will sit with Christ on the throne. What a privilege. We will spend eternity enjoying intimate fellowship with God, worshiping Him and reigning with Him. It brings a totally new meaning to the phrase, home sweet home. All right, pray with me. Dear gracious Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this picture that you've painted for us that gives us hope and shows us what you have prepared for us beforehand, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for your son. I thank you for you sending him to die on the cross for us and for your constant pursuit so that we may dwell with you one day, Lord. Lord, I just pray for the women who have done this study. I pray that they will continue to be in your word and they will continue to finish this study and that you will just bless them in their time, Lord. Lord, I just pray for all of the women here and all of the women who um, are watching that they will have joy despite their circumstances and they will look to you for their hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.